right, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Sunshine and Brain, part of the Perry Veritas Network, the podcast where we have conversations about mental health in as down-to-earth and normal way possible. How's everybody doing today? <laughs> uh, Jesus. It's uh, Thursday now, November 5th, a couple days after the election, and we still don't know who's president. So that's happening. It's um, definitely happening. Just taking a quick, a quick peek at uh, the AP, and yeah, I was like, huh, I wonder, because I haven't looked at it in like, you know, a couple of hours. You know, I figure as soon as the president is, as soon as like, you know, they finish counting ballots and we sort of figure out who won the presidency, I'm assuming that I'm just going, my phone is just going to start beeping and buzzing like uh like crazy because you know that people are going to be texting each other definitely folks in my family definitely friends all that stuff so i kind of expect to hear it that way it's sort of funny like uh you know it's the process of kind of simultaneously trying to avoid the news and follow the news at exactly the same time which you know uh it's that's a very hard thing to do. I did get rid of the CNN app off my phone because that shit was stressing me out. And obviously I never had the Fox liberal guys. I never had the Fox news app on my phone or anything like that. But what I used to do is kind of take a look at the CNN app and then look at Fox news headlines and then get a good sense of like where our country is at. And it's just so fucking terrifying because it's just a hundred percent clear that half the country is living under one sort of, narrative historical perspective and the other half is living under another fucking narrative historical perspective and that shit is a problem so yeah no fucking idea what's going to happen i don't want to say anything to jinx it obviously i would much rather have biden as a president but i'm not like fucking happy with him being president either it's just another white dude in his mid-70s probably raped a person so this is uh this is very unhappy sort of anyway across the board, but uh, Jesus Christ, if Trump wins again, that would be really, really unhappy. And I don't know. I, I see a number of scenarios that translate pretty quickly into a doomsday scenario. But uh, anyway, so trying not to be too anxious or catastrophic and kind of thinking about this, which is why I'm avoiding it and kind of following it a little bit too. But hopefully by today or tomorrow or sometime, We'll have a good idea of who the next president is, and then they'll, uh, um, you know, and then we'll see what happens after that, I guess. But anyway, so after last episode, I wanted to sit down and record another solo ep just to kind of follow up. I mean, last episode was so fucking raw and, you know, really painful. I listened back to it a bunch of times, and to be honest, in, in a weird way, kind of listening to it was sort of helpful to me because. A, when I was listening to it, I didn't have to have my thoughts in the space of the panic attack, you know, of what was going on. I could sort of hear my voice talking about it and then kind of take the voice out of my head and listen to it almost as like an out-of-body experience, if that makes sense. So that was actually kind of a nice thing to have. And then the other pieces I actually heard from a couple of people who don't like know me at all, who... Uh, you know, sort of found me on Instagram after listening to that episode and was like, Hey, oh my gosh, I listened to that episode and it was just so raw and just wanted you to you know, I hope you're okay and all this stuff. So it was very kind of touching sort of thing. So I was like, Oh man, I hope nobody's worried about me out there. <laughs> I know I don't have any real listeners. I mean, like, you know, I, 
if I have listeners, they're not fake listeners, but I don't have like listeners, you know, but, uh, but if a couple people heard and were concerned, Hey man, I don't want anyone to worry. So <laughs> record another episode right quick to kind of, uh, make sure that, you know, I talk a little bit also about how I'm kind of doing a little bit better now and sort of am pulling myself together and all that stuff. And so I thought I'd, thought I'd do that, but yeah, it's been a weird fucking week. I mean, you know, on top of the election and everything else, you start dealing with issues of, you know, heartbreak. It's, it just sort of adds to the complicated nature of the stress that's going on. And especially when it was sort of out of nowhere in the way that it was for me. And I mean, even though I kind of sensed something, but it was like very hard to understand what I was sensing. And it's, it's like very difficult in a way to, you know, to sense something bad and give it honor when, Anyway, you're a catastrophic thinker and you don't want to give that voice any honor. Does that make sense? It's like, as it stands, my depressive voice is always saying shit to me like, you know, you're unlovable. You will never find a person who's going to love you. (laughs) You are an awful human being and life is going to continue to prove that over and over again. And that's just what he says. That's how he talks to me all the time. And so when I'm in a situation, I begin to sense things that, show me that maybe a relationship or things sort of aren't going so well, you know, I I never know the difference between whether or not what I'm sensing has some, you know, sort of true validation or if it's just my depressive voice being a dick. You know what I mean? Like, you know, maybe it's just him being a dick. So, but occasionally he's fucking right. And then he gets pretty incorrigible after that because he's like, see, dude, I was right. Then it's like, yeah, but did it happen for the reasons that you said it happened? Because I don't think so. I mean, I kind of think so, but that's my dick depressive voice talking. You know, this happened, you got broken up with and you had your heart broken because specifically you are, you know, unlovable. And in this case, it was like that much more difficult because the reason for the breaking up was, you know, her heart couldn't love me. Oh, that's like basically what she said. You know, I don't feel the magic that you feel. I'm not going to be able to love you ever. You know? (laughs) Oh, so gnarly. Anyway, so what do you do, right? Like, how do you navigate that? When I recorded the last episode, that was the first night afterwards. And I mean, I woke up at 1130 in this crazy ass panic attack. And then was stuck in it for a couple of hours and then finally got up and recorded the episode to kind of try to help me to get past it. And it did help, sort of tired me out. And I was able to get back to sleep, but it was pretty gnarly after that. And this morning was actually the first morning that I woke up not in a full-on panic attack. Just maybe sort of a half-on panic attack. <laughs> like a slight panic attack. But really hardly any panic attack at all in comparison. And you know, with a few days kind of separated between me and the experience and a few more days to kind of ruminate, you know, I think I've begun to sort of gain some interesting, I don't know, new wisdom or new understanding and new kind of approach to how I want to do romance moving forward and how I want to protect myself and be careful throughout the process of getting to know someone and falling in love with a person, you know, how to kind of do that in a way that's more helpful. So 
yeah, I want to talk about that this episode and also talk about what I did to sort of process myself towards healing, maybe a little bit about how I'm feeling now. And then, um, you know, what my new sort of personal policies are moving forward here. So first things first, in terms of what I did to sort of help myself through it. I mean, the big thing was self-forgiveness. I mean, that was absolutely key. That's always key for me. You know, when I, when I have a moment where my brain starts to sort of go awry from uh, where it needs to be when it's regulated, you know, I need to really forgive myself for it doing that. Because if I start blaming myself or thinking, why, why is it doing this and all this stuff, it just makes it that much more complicated to deal with it. Because now I'm dealing with like added layers of, you know, narrative and not just the thing at hand. Instead of like, hey, here's a really tough situation that's emotional and you have to kind of go through that. It's like, all of a sudden, hey, here's a really tough situation that's emotional. And like, why are you so defunct that you're handling it this way? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, why are you broken? Why are you a broken human being? You know, if, if I'm trying to kind of find healing while at the same time dealing with that sort of narrative, I mean, it's just like no fucking way I'd be able to find the healing I need to find. I mean, you know, it's like you got to go weed whacking first before you can actually get to the fucking lawn to mow. You know, so that's sort of its own thing. So self-forgiveness is key to try to kind of find my way through, you know, the feeling and just say, it's natural you're feeling this way. And it's natural because of this, this, and this that happened. So the panic attacks every morning, I have this, I have this thing. I'm not going to go into sort of deep detail as to why or how this happened. But suffice it to say, because of a kind of long-standing, uh, prolonged trauma from a handful of years ago, I have this thing where I wake up every single morning at 4.30 a.m. No matter what time I go to sleep, if I go to sleep at midnight, I wake up. It's not always 4.30 exactly. It's usually like, it's usually like between four and like five or so. That's kind of where it is usually, but uh, it's usually, it's usually pretty much 4.30. But a lot of times it's four, you know, 10, 4.15 or whatever it is, but I wake up every single morning at that time. And I don't always wake up at that time in a panic attack, but I do always wake up in that time. And it's just sort of one of those things. And I, I wish it didn't happen anymore, but it just does. And I'm not 100% sure how to stop it from happening. So that's been going on for a really long time. And what, what happened was I shared this with the woman who I was kind of beginning to see and sort of feeling like I was falling in love with and seeing a, you know, a much kind of bigger expansive path moving forward after, you know, as, as time kind of went on with her, I shared this with her and, you know, in a moment where I don't really blame her, but I think that we we're both kind of feeling the magic at that time. She said to me, you know, I think I, I'm going to cure you of that. You know, I think, I think I'll be able to cure you of that. I'm a hundred percent certain that I'm going to be able to cure you of that. And I fucking believed it, man. Like, like I bought into that shit, hook, line and sinker, you know, hook, stop, line, stop and sinker, stop. And I wanted to weep when she said it to me, you know, because I'd love to not have that anymore to be able to get a full night's sleep. when that's not something I've been able to do for over a decade. You know, I would love to, I can be able to do that. And yet, like, as it was happening, you know, as she said it, and as I thought about it, I was also like, 
you know, don't like put that pressure on yourself or us, you know, as if me getting better there is a measure of anything having to do with how good the relationship is. I mean, there, I might have it for the rest of my life, but that doesn't mean that I'm not going to like fall in love with someone. It's just not up to them to solve that. Do you know what I mean? Like, that's not like where it's at, but I still, I, I bought into it like hook, line and sinker. We kind of started stage one of that process. <laughs> she basically said, okay, so what I want you to do is whenever you wake up at that time, I want you to text me. And if I'm awake, I'll text you back and we'll talk and we'll just go back to sleep. And if not, then I'll get your text in the morning and that'll be what we do. And I didn't like ask her why we were going to do that, but I, I understood that I think what was happening was we were creating like a new association to that wake up time. So instead of associating it to, you know, the trauma that caused that weird sleep thing in the first place, I would now be associating it with, you know, a woman who I was feeling like I was in love with. Right. I mean, it's a very different kind of association. And then, you know, maybe that association would give me the ability to sort of not be waking up at that time anymore. Right. So we like began doing that <laughs> where like every single morning I'd wake up at four 30 and then text her and be like, Hey, I'm awake, you know? Um, and then if she was awake, she'd text me back and we would text for a little bit and then wish each other good night. And then I would just like be able to go back to sleep. And when, <laughs> when the breakup happened, I mean, it was like all of a sudden I didn't have this thing anymore. And I already formed like a neural pathway there of like kind of sort of being codependent in that space, you know, of just like, I need this connection because this is a trauma that I wish I didn't have. And here's a gateway where it's going to go away, you know? And so a hundred percent makes sense that every single morning at four 30, since uh, Thursday, I woke up at 1130 in a panic attack I mean, Friday morning, that's when I woke up. Saturday morning was when I started waking up at, you know, 4.30 in a panic attack. Just absolutely just 4.30 straight up panic attack. And, you know, that's how it literally has been every single morning until this morning. So, you know, and it's basically what happened the first night where I'd wake up. I mean, wake up directly into a panic attack. So wake up, my heart's palpitating. It's beating very fast. I'm breathing shallow. The walls are closing in on me. If I close my eyes, the only thought that's in my head is a voice screaming, you're, you're going to be alone forever. You're going to be alone forever. You're going to be alone forever. There's no one out there for you, et cetera. You know, and then just sort of stuck in that space and just laying there with my eyes open, trying to forgive myself for that feeling, you know, trying to navigate through it until maybe I could fall asleep again for a little while at least, but probably not you know, where I would just lay awake in bed then till it was either time to get up and start getting my girls ready for school or just time to get up because it was fucking time to get up. You know, that's what I was kind of doing there. So the other thing that I would do kind of after that, and the thing that's kind of been really, really helpful is I would um, then just kind of, when it was light enough, if I didn't, if I didn't have my daughters with me, you know, go, just go to the beach. Um, there's this, uh, beach about a half hour from me 
um, in North San Diego County that I really love. It's about a mile long. And so you can kind of walk, if you park on one end of it, you can walk all the way to one end and all the way to the back, all the way to the, and all the way back and get yourself two miles of walking on the beach. And there's nothing for me, at least like the beach or just the ocean in general, but like the beach in terms of reminding me how small I am and how insignificant in a good way though. Like the pain I'm feeling is going to pass and I'm going to move on and there's going to be something new and someone new and, you know, sort of things like that. And so, you know, that, that was something I did. So at some point, like I was going to the beach, like if I didn't have my daughters, I'd go to the beach probably three times a day, you know, where I like was waking up early at like, you know, six, six thirty, heading out to the beach then just as it's getting light, taking an early morning before work, walk on the beach, driving back home, working a little bit, after work, going out to the beach again, taking the good full walk on it, coming back home, and then at night even going out there again and sitting in the sand and looking at the stars. And actually, that's been the one place where it's been great to cry, you know, for a couple of reasons. One, because <laughs> I'm such an idiot. We had we had our second date on that fucking beach. <laughs> we got like Mexican food, sat there, ate the Mexican food made out like a couple of uh, high schoolers and they went home. Like that was the date. Right. And so like, I know exactly the spot where we sat basically, I mean, not a hundred percent, but basically the spot where we put the blanket down, basically the spot where we then moved the blanket to softer sand uh, to then be able to lie down and, you know, make out and all that stuff. And so sitting in that basic spot and just putting my face on my hands and crying for a little while was a bit helpful because it's like, you know, and not even like, I mean, part of it's missing her because you know, I thought she was great, but also, you know, missing just the feeling of that, of like that kind of hope and promise, you know, of like, this is my one, I know this is my one, you know, and then having it not be, do you know, having her not be, do you know what I mean? Where like, just really kind of longing for that again. Um, and then dealing with the shock of sort of how it all went down, you know, so that was, <laughs> also really helpful. So a couple of like evening, very dramatic beach scenes, in the movie of my life of just sitting crisscross applesauce and fucking weeping into my hands, you know, <laughs> for however long it needed anywhere from a half hour to an hour to the last time I went, I was just there for like maybe 10 minutes or so and got my car and drove back. And so that was actually helpful. And, and I learned from my therapist that you can actually tell based on the kind of cry that you're having, um, how, you know, what the motivation of the cry is, I guess. And so if it's kind of a deeper cry where it feels like it's coming from the pit of your stomach and it's prolonged, you know, sort of tears and the tears feel like they are, you know, again, kind of rolling out of your eyes from, deep inside of you, right? So they're not just like pouring out, but they're maybe like coming out slowly from deep inside of you, that that type of cry is a mournful cry, that that's a grief oriented cry, that that cry is kind of coming from grief. Whereas if you are crying where it's like you feel it in your throat, you know, where your throat kind of like starts to tighten up and then like tears are coming out a lot and they kind of feel like they're coming out like from the surface of your eyes, like just behind your eyeballs, basically pouring out and down. That's, um, that's an anxiety cry. 
And that's the type of cry where you're, you know, saying anxiety shit to yourself as you're crying, you know, like, why didn't I do more? Right? <laughs> Could have done more. Or why did I do this? Or why did I do that? And God, I'm such a fucking idiot and stuff like that. And that cry, you can feel that in your throat. And, and, you know, and, and so that's not the type of cry that I want to do because I don't want to honor that voice, right? I want it to be where it's at, which is a grief thing, which is, hey, you know, here was a really exciting thing that I thought was one thing and it turned out was something else. And that's really sad. And so I'd like to cry about that, about how sad it is. So that was like making sure that it was the right kind of cry, you know? <laughs> it was a really sort of weird thing to do, but, uh, but yeah. And then, you know, I had my girls for normal custody time. And so, you know, that was very much a process of, you know, working to be present with them, but also again, that self-forgiveness piece of, Hey, you know, sometimes life is just really stressful. And when it is, you know, you have to be present as much as you can, but also forgive yourself if you can't be as present as you'd like to be when things are going great. You know, all parents understand this, that we'd love to be able to give our kids 100% of ourselves 100% of the time, but there hasn't been a single parent in the history of parenting that's ever been able to do that. Because how often are we, A, 100% of ourselves, and B, you know, 100% of the time is just ridiculous. I mean, you get tired, you know, you get stressed, you get uh, challenged by whatever is going on in the world. I mean, not just people like me who are dealing with the election and a weird heartbreak, but also, you know, everybody who's dealing with pandemic, election, stresses from jobs, stresses from relationships, all things like that. You know, these are things that get in the way of our ability to be fully present with our children. And for me, like if I, you know, I could really easily sit around and just beat myself up about that over and over again. I, you know, I'm just, I just, I don't think I'm going to be able to engage as intensely as I'd like to, you know, because of how much I love them. I think I'm going to need to make sure they're okay, make sure they're fed, engage as much as I can, but also be okay taking a step back, taking care of myself and making sure that everything is also fine with me. You know, it's, I think it's a really healthy and important thing for parents to be able to do that. And so that was also very much something that I needed to do. And so, yeah, I, I forgave myself and did that as well, you know, had them, but then also needing to kind of find the space. So making sure that I dragged my butt down to the pool every day to go swimming. The only day I didn't swim this week was Monday. And that was because I had extra time to, you know, I didn't have my girls at the beginning of the day and I really wanted to get to the beach early in the morning in order to do that. And then I needed to, you know, obviously do some more work. So I didn't get into the pool on, on Monday, but I, uh, I did get into the pool Tuesday, Wednesday, and today, Thursday, and we'll keep doing that. Normally I swim a full mile. I mean, that's kind of the goal every day. I don't want to swim much more than that. It's sort of what I have time for, but normally I swim a full mile. The full mile in my pool is 72 lengths. And I just haven't had the energy to do it. I mean, I haven't been like eating as healthily as normal and obviously have been sort of, you know, knocked off the rocker, knocked off my rocker. And so, you know, again, self-forgiveness, knowing I need to get in the pool, knowing it's good to exercise, but understanding that I don't have to do the full regimen in order to get out of my body, to get the exercise that I need, to get the impact that I need to then be as healthy as possible. So I cut the 72 to 50. 
you know, three quarters of a mile instead of the full mile. I took 22 laps and 22 lengths. I mean to say off of the regiment, just to, just to do it, just to keep doing it and, but not to overdo it, you know, not to overdo it. And so that's what I, I've just been doing 50 laps for the past few days. And I almost think of it as like, you know, when I get back up to 72 again, then I'll be, I'll be over it. You know what I mean? <laughs> Which I know isn't true because this one, this one's going to leave a couple scars for sure. So I need to, you know, just forgive the fact that, okay, there's a couple scars here, but the scars might also be wisdom things, you know, where it's kind of important scars that help me to be smarter in terms of how I approach this stuff, you know, (laughs) help me to sort of feel better about it. So, so that was, uh, those are a couple of things I've been doing. The other, the other pieces I kind of like in a panic was like, you know, I got to get back on the apps. I got to find someone, you know, I got to like start connecting with people. I got to do the dating app thing again. I got to just get back up on it. You know, I can't be sitting here like looking at my phone, hoping this uh, girl is going to text me and she's never going to text me. You know, Um, by the way, she's unblocked now. Like (laughs) I realized that I was being immature. So I just like unblocked her. Um, I had left a a hoodie at her place and I was like, I want my hoodie back. So I asked for the hoodie back. I got, I have it back now. She mailed it to me. So that's good. But, uh, you know, but just like sitting waiting for a text, like, I don't know if I can want to do that, you know? So got back on the apps and that was, uh, both helpful and a hot mess (laughs) because that's what it's like. Generally speaking to fucking be on the dating apps. They are helpful and also a hot goddamn mess. Uh, you know, for anyone who's ever done online dating before, and I swear it's the best, but it's like, I forget who said, you know, America is the worst country in the world, except for all the rest of them. <laughs> but I don't know, maybe that's Roosevelt. It sounds like, I don't know. It's fucking somebody said that. Some I mean, I don't, Maybe that was, uh, oh, you know what? It might've been Churchill. It sounds Churchillian. Anyway, whatever. Somebody famous said that America, American democracy or America is the worst country in the world, except for all the rest of them. And that's how I feel about dating apps. That dating apps is the worst possible way to meet people, except for every other fucking way to meet people. (laughs) I mean, it really is. Unless you're going to, you know, meet someone in college and that becomes your forever person, which, uh, who the fuck are those people? Like, how did they end up with that? You know what I mean? Like, like, man, that'd have been cool if that happened to me, but it didn't. But anyway, unless you're one of those people, you know, what are your other choices, right? Like bowling leagues, the bar, maybe just the beach. Like you're just walking on the beach and you bump into each other and look into each other's eyes and that's it. You know, <laughs> maybe that's how it happens. I don't fucking know. I don't really know. I never really dated before, let alone online dating. You know, where you're like being introduced to a bunch of people and going out on dates and like trying people on for size. It's not like what happened for me. What happened for me was I'd be at Jewish summer sleepaway camp and you'd like look at someone and be like, I like you. You like me. Yeah, I like you. And then you'd make out. And then next thing you know, your boyfriend and girlfriend. <laughs> and then maybe it continues after the summer and maybe not. You know what I mean? But that's how it happened for me. Or in college where it's like, hey, let's go get like whatever. And then you go on like a like a walking date and eat some cheap dinner and then you make out and then now you're boyfriend and girlfriend. That's not always how it happened to me. 
And then you just be boyfriend and girlfriend, <laughs> go from like zero to a hundred in just a very, very short amount of time. So the whole like step-by-step step, getting to know someone, you go out on a date, go out on a second date, go out on a third date. Maybe you then hang out in someone's house. Maybe you then cuddle on a couch and watch a movie. Maybe there's sex at some point in there. Wait a little bit. Maybe there's a sleepover. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> that kind of like slow process. And then eventually you're just dating. I mean, I, you know, I've never really kind of done that before. So this is uh, this is a new experience for me. So anyway, you slice it, it's, it's fucking banana sauce. And, you know, because there's like basically no bars, there's no hangouts right now, there's nothing that folks can do to really meet each other. I mean, everybody who wants to date and their mother are on these dating apps. But also because we've been quarantined for somewhere between seven months and 37 fucking years at this point, <laughs> everybody's also out of their minds. You know what I mean? So like, you don't even know if somebody likes you, like maybe they like you or maybe they're just bonkers and they need to like press their body against a human body in order to like feel human. And then they discover by doing that, that they don't fucking like you because, but because it's been forever since they've like had human contact, they've got like COVID goggles. Do you know what I mean? Instead of beer goggles, it's like COVID goggles, you know, where instead of being drunk and you look at someone, they look attractive, but then you wake up in the morning and they're just like fucking not. It's like, you just haven't been touched by a human being. And so here's a person in front of you and you're like, okay, fine, just touch me. Then you get touched by them and you wake up in the morning. It's like, oh, right. No, <laughs> like, no, you're not, no, this isn't gonna, no, you know? <laughs> so, and I have not been like sleeping around by any stretch of the imagination, but it's still, it's like, you know, it's uh, just bizarre. But uh, anyway, what was I saying? remember what I was saying. Let's see. I was talking about what the process of recovery is and sort of what it's been like and all that stuff. And so uh, I just lost my train of thought, which is so typical and normal, you know, it's so typical and normal. So anyway, as I'm kind of thinking back on it, you know, I was very tempted to, I've been very, very tempted to send her a variety of different texts to um, express my feelings, to have some feeble attempt to reconnect to, you know, everything, but like, you know, stalk at some point, <laughs> which, you know, I'm, I don't think I told the line of being a stalker, but I definitely was on the thought process that would lead someone towards being a stalker in that way of just like, you know, sending multiple texts, just, you know, begging for attention again, you know, having those weird kind of extinction bursts that just happen over and over and over again. And, you know, thereby changing whatever it is that anyone ever thought of you, but also losing yourself in just the morning of the whole thing. Like I didn't want that to happen to me, but you know, at the same time I was sitting here going, you know, man, I'm just, I don't have like any context. You know what I mean? Like it went from, you know, a hundred to zero in like nothing basically. And, you know, I, I was so shocked by it that I didn't have a chance to ask questions that I was really curious about. And so I sit in here and it's like, God, man, I'd, I'd love to know, you know, it was just, just the kind of thing where it was like, you just never felt the magic, even though it felt like you felt the magic and you said shit to me that made me think that you felt the magic, but you were like faking it till you made it, but then just realize you were never going to make it. And so you, that's when you decided that it would had to end 
or was it the kind of thing where you like legitimately actually really, really did feel the magic and then, and then it just went away. Do you know what I mean? Like, and I talked about this the last episode, I think, well, it's kind of a blur and I listened to it a few times, but um, I mean that, you know, is, was that what it was? It's sort of like that. And, you know, so, you know, I, I like was really tempted to send a text to just ask that question and to try to like couch that text in in whatever kind of um, language I could to make it seem like as normal as possible. Like, Hey, like I'm just looking for a little bit of help for some closure here. Like, could you just maybe answer this question? Like, was it a, or was it B? And then, I, you know, I just finally came to a point really yesterday when I was like, I don't really need to send that text. And I, didn't, I haven't even sent a message saying, hey, I got my hoodie back. Thank you for sending it back to me. <laughs> and the reason is, is because like when I play it out in my head in terms of like what I'm actually looking for, you know, it's not like really all that healthy what I'm looking for. It's not like I'm, you know like actually wanting to engage on those things. It's that I, you know, want her to respond with, um, you know, I realized that I was wrong to do what I did and please come back to me. <laughs> and I don't think that I want or need that to happen, you know? So definitely one of those, one of those things where, you know, it's definitely good that I've decided, you know, not to reach out at this point not to leave it. You know, I, I kind of play out the, the, the hoodie text, for example. And it's like, on one hand, I do kind of want to send it because I'm sitting here going, man, I hope she texts me asking me if I got it. Then I can just be like, yeah, I got it. You know? <laughs> and like, that's why I want to send the texting. I got it. Cause I don't want to like sit here waiting for her to text me to see if I got it. Does that make sense? Like, I don't want to sit here fucking like waiting for that. So I'm just like, oh, fuck's sake, just close that loop and move on, you know. But then when I play out closing that loop, it's like, you know, like, hey, I got my my hoodie bag. Thank you so much. And then the next question is, well, you know, where then she's like, okay, good, good to hear it. How are you doing? You know, and then I'm like, I'm, I don't know. And then answer the question. And, and then she's like, I'm so sorry I did this to you. You know, it really was a mistake. I'm realizing I miss you and I haven't stopped thinking about you or whatever. <laughs> and then next thing you know, like, um, there's like options there again. And so I'm, you know, I'm like, well, I don't want that either. So I'm just not going to like send anything right now until I have like a feeling in terms of which way I'd want to go with it, if ever at all. You know what I mean? It's just kind of leave it at that in the holding pattern. But I remember what I was saying before, I, I, I'd like got back on the apps. You know, I, I, um, I had shut down my account completely and totally. I'd shut down, um, okay, Cupid. I had shut down hinge and for, and I shut down the other ones I was on too, but they were so awful. I knew I wasn't going to get back on those, but, uh, okay, Cupid and hinge. I kind of like those ones in order for me to get back on there. Like I had to like redo my fucking, like, it wasn't like they had my old, you know, account in memory. They just deleted it all. And so, or, or, or just didn't tell me that they still have it, but whatever it is, I had to like rebuild my account again. <laughs> so, you know, I've got like a few new pictures since then. So I did some new pictures and I got a little bit more experience. I was a bit more savvy in rebuilding it. And, uh, and then just trying to connect with people, you know, just trying to fucking like scroll through. And there definitely were times where it was like, 
just swipe left, swipe left, swipe left, swipe left, like over and over and over and over again. And just getting that like feeling of dread, like I'm never going to be excited again. I'm never going to connect with anyone again. This is not going to happen. I'm going to be alone forever. This is just going to be how it works. And then occasionally you find someone that it's like, maybe I'll reach out to this person, but then, you know, eight times out of 10, they don't get back to you. And so it just takes a bit to like build up a group of people that you're kind of talking to that you might be excited to connect with and then kind of take something from there. But like, that's sort of what the, like what the feeling was of just like, Oh man, you know, this is really awful. This is really awful. And then, um, and then I found my way to Bumble which is a different dating app. I had never done that one before, but my therapist actually told me that that one was kind of the best. And the reason why Bumble is really good is because there's actually no pressure in terms of, from the guy's perspective, in terms of who you are reaching out to. Because on Bumble, and I realize this is sort of gender specific, um, but on Bumble, it's only the people who identify as women that are allowed to do the reaching out. So if you're there identified as a man, then you can swipe right on people who you'd like to hear from, but they have to then tell you, yes, we'd like to connect with you. And then it's actually on them to send you a message. So that's kind of a cool thing. It's a little bit weird in terms of titling because they call it your hive. <laughs> and they're like, there's a new bee in your hive. And I feel like this is, this is maybe just a little sexist. <laughs> Like something about it makes me feel like it's just like a little sexist, but like in a weird way, cause like the women are still reaching out to you. So it's like weird sexist, you know what I mean? Where it's like, I'm calling a group of women just like buzzing around. Like this is my hive of women and I'm waiting to hear from them or I'm hearing from them and I'm engaging with them and they're just my hive. Do you know what, do you know what I mean? It's like a little bit weird, but because they are the ones that have to initiate everything that makes it maybe a little bit less weird where it's like, oh, okay, it's sort of on them to do it, you know? So, uh, so yeah, so yeah, getting in my, um, getting in my hive there. So that's been kind of fun. And so now I'm connected with a few women and talking to people and feeling a little bit better where it's like, you know, you just kind of feel those endorphins go in your brain and kind of bring some balance, you know, there and, etc. But also at the same time, recognizing that, you know, the brain is really complicated and sophisticated. And if you think I'm not sitting here thinking to myself, you know, what if, what if she hears this and is listening? What is she going to think about the idea of me being back online again? You know what I mean? But like, she's not here. She's not listening. So it doesn't, it doesn't really make sense for me to worry about that. And the purpose of the pod is just for me to talk about shit and go through it. And that's kind of like where the brain is at. And I am on the apps now and I am connecting with people. And there are even a couple people who I feel kind of excited to connect with one in particular who I connected with last night. Um, I did manage to squeeze out a date. <laughs> that was like, that was like a desperate attempt to try to find some endorphin connection. And nope, it just happened to be that there was none. Perfectly lovely person, you know, nice conversation, good dinner, little walk in downtown San Diego, which is pretty, but that's kind of what it was. And um, that's all it was. There was no spark, no anything. And so I won't be seeing that person again. <laughs> but 
But then last night after I got home, I connected on Bumble with someone who was actually pretty exciting to connect with, who made me feel in a way that I want to feel, which is validated, heard, you know, understood, appreciated, um, you know, wanted sort of all those pieces. So that, that was actually really, really nice. And I think it's a combination of that, of like having that direct experience of like, oh, okay, I, I feel excited about this person. You know, I feel like there's some real potential here. This is something that there could be, that could be really nice. I don't know for certain, obviously, but there's some potential for potential here. You know, just that injection of endorphins is a good thing and help the brain. And I'm wondering if that's at least part of the reason why I didn't have a panic attack this morning, you know, where it's like, I still woke up at 4.30, so I had that feeling, but I could look forward to talking to her on the phone later today. And I could think about, you know, making that connection. So, you know, I'm still sort of very raw from everything. And at the same time, you know, this is what I'm doing to kind of find my way to the healing process, to find my way through it and to continue to sort of march on, you know. Um, There obviously... Uh, there are some, you know, learning lessons to kind of take from this. And I'm definitely being very, very sort of active in that department of thinking very seriously about what to learn and what to shift up and kind of what to change. Uh, the first thing is, so there are a number of things that I believe in with my heart, but don't believe in with my head. Like ghosts are a good example of this. Like if you were to ask me, like, logically, do you believe in ghosts? I would say no, you know. <laughs> I don't believe in ghosts, but like, does that mean if I'm in like a haunted house, quote unquote, and hear strange noises, I'm not going to like get scared out of my mind. Like I'm totally going to get scared of my mind. Does that mean that I don't have like these weird sort of ghost stories from my family that I kind of sort of believe with my heart, even though I don't really believe with my head. I mean, I totally have those. That's uh that's a hundred percent there. Like one hundred percent there. And one of those things besides for ghosts is synchronicity which is such a fucking Californian thing to say. Like if you're listening to this, you're not in California you're probably like, what the fuck is synchronicity? The synchronicity is like when you see things in the world that are, you know, giving you signs. The last episode I talked about the number 33 and its significance to me. And just go back to listen to that episode and you'll hear me kind of talk about it. I mean, by the way, the last episode I started recording at one thirty-three in the morning and I don't know, like, the episode ended up being 33 minutes and six seconds long. So it's like, all right, all right. There's, I didn't do that shit on purpose, by the way. There's no way I could have done that on purpose, but it was like, all right, that's what's, that's what's going on there. But uh, in any case, um, you know, thinking about what the number 33 is to me and when I see it to like take heed for what's going on there, like I'm supposed to notice something a little bit extra. Like right now it's one thirty-three in the afternoon and I'm talking about one thirty-three. Right. So I'm supposed to like notice something extra in this moment and like think about, you know, what is sort of going on around me. And often the 33 comes as like a almost like a warning, you know, but it's really often just kind of pointing out what's happening and and noticing things. So thinking about that, Um, the person who I was messaging with the other night when we decided we talk on the phone tonight, I was trying to get the sentence out. Okay, uh, you have a date. But I couldn't fucking get the word date out because my phone and my fat fingers, I actually have skinny fingers, but my phone and my skinny fingers 
kept putting writing the letter F instead of the word D. Now, granted, they're right next to each other, but it just like four times in a row, five times in a row, I was like, okay, we have a, okay, you have a fate, 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 date, you know? <laughs> I didn't like send any of those, but like it took me like six or seven tries to like change the word fate to date before I could press send on that particular message. And I was like, what the fuck? You know what I mean? <laughs> so like already my brain starts going in circles like, oh, this one is my destiny. <laughs> She's my fate. You have a fate and it's me. And then I'm just like smacking myself in the face, like, stop it, stop it, you know? But like, and thinking about it, you know, being that kind of optimist when it comes to love is something that I don't actually want to change about myself. Like I want to be excited, you know? And I'm like, I especially want to be excited at the beginning of, you know, whatever relationship that I end up with, that's like my lifelong relationship. Like I want to fucking be excited for that. And I can't be excited for my lifelong relationship if I don't allow myself to be excited at the beginning of any relationship anymore as like a method of self-protection. You know, like I just, I can't do that. And so what that means is, is that I need to be okay with the fact that being excited is vulnerable. And that means I might get hurt more than people who keep themselves shut off in trying to connect to others. You know, you're putting yourself out there and you're getting vulnerable and I'm sorry, but doing that might just mean that I'm going to maybe be a little bit more hurt than your average bear in these situations, you know? And it's just maybe being okay with that, like just coming to terms with it. Um, but there are things that I could do to kind of change stuff. And I think a really good example of that is the early morning wake-up help that we had started doing. Like in retrospect, I know, and she even said, in the breakup, but I also believe that there's nothing I could have done to change the outcome of this. Like not one iota of this was on me. It's all internal to her, whatever she's got going on. But there are things I could have done to keep myself a little bit safer in the process. You know, I could have waited until I was certain or rather more certain. Although to be honest, like she did, she did say a lot of shit to me that made me certain but maybe certain through time that the relationship was going to be truly a long, you know, a long running, long term relationship to allow myself to be as vulnerable as I was. And specifically, especially in the beginning of a relationship, I can, I think, and maybe even for a whole relationship, I can, you know, keep my trauma based things as things that only sort of I worry about, or if I'm going to get help from somebody for them, let it not be because, you know, we've agreed that they're going to help me and we're going to start doing a thing for them to help me, but rather because I'm kind of facilitating that on my own in a way. Does that make sense? You know, I, I guess what I'm saying is I, sh I never should have said yes to you know, her helping me with my wake up thing. I never should have said yes to texting her at four 30 in the morning to tell her that I was awake and then having that texting conversation and then, um, having that, you know, sort of build a neural pathway there of honestly codependency early, early on where all of a sudden I was associating that four 30 wake up with like being okay, needing a person, you know, I, I should never have said yes to that. It might also be true 
that she should never have offered it. You know what I mean? Like that also might be true, but you know, more importantly, it's up to me, honestly, to, you know, say yes or no to those things. And I think I should have just said no to that. I think that would have been a wise mind answer, but I don't blame myself for doing it, but having that extra wisdom moving forward has been, you know, sort of helpful to me. Do you know what I mean? Like, okay, so let's say this woman who I'm really excited to connect with tonight, it ends up being that, holy shit, there's like an amazing connection. And now I'm all about her, right? And let's say she brings a similar thing to me when I share with her vulnerabilities. And she's like, I'm going to help you with those vulnerabilities. For me to say, that's great. I know you will. But, you know, also, I've got this, like, it's not up to you to help me with these vulnerabilities. And like, I got this, just be my partner. And let's just keep walking through life, but we don't have to enact like a game plan to get me over some shit that then builds a neural pathway before I'm like certain that this is a really long relationship. (laughs) You know what I mean? I mean, at some point it's like this shit kind of like gets dangerous for a person like me. I mean, I I didn't go down any self-harm or suicidal path. Honestly, I didn't hit any, ones or twos, certainly threes or fours or fives in terms of the level of kind of suicidal thought that I might be having. I mean, I didn't even hit really a one, let alone a two. I've talked about this scale, by the way, in earlier episodes. So, you know, scroll back to hear me talk about it. But uh, I didn't hit like any level of sort of having suicidal thoughts at all. You know, I I just was having this crazy panic attack. And, um, you know, it was obviously just kind of turned upside down by the whole experience of of it. And so that's sort of where it was at. So now I'm, you know, feeling better. I've got some endorphins going. I started listening to music again, which is something that I do. Like I, I, music is very powerful to me. And so actually I've never used music to enhance sadness because I don't want, I don't like need my sadness enhanced. Like some people listen to sad music when they're sad to help them feel more sad. I'm like, no, I feel fucking sad enough. (laughs) Thank you very much. I don't need like any, any like more sad music to make me feel more sad right now, because this is as sad as I can handle. (laughs) But when I'm happy and doing all right, or feeling like a badass or something like that, and put on some happy or doing all right or badass music. And that enhances those feelings because it's nice to feel happier or like a bigger badass, you know, it's, it's nice to do that. So that's kind of what I do. So I hadn't listened to music, you know, all week, not over the weekend, not during the week. And then finally yesterday I was able to listen to music and, um, you know, more contemplative music or whatever, but still music. So that part felt really good. And, uh, and yeah, so just kind of trudging, trudging along, (laughs) um, trying to think what else I wanted to share on here. I'm not sure there's much of anything, but uh, I, I'm I actually really like doing the solo episode. I I didn't not that I like enjoyed doing the last episode, but I also understand that there's something really kind of cool and important and interesting about getting vulnerable like this and sort of I don't know just sharing your sharing your thoughts and you know sort of what happens to me is I kind of start talking. And, uh, at first I'm like eight minutes in and it's like, man, am I going to have like anything to say? But now I've been talking for a little over 50 minutes and, you know, 
I've had some shit to say. So I think I'm just going to keep doing some solo episodes from here and there to kind of keep adding to the pod. I've got some more interviews coming up. I've got one that I've been working on that hopefully is going to happen this coming, not this weekend, not as in like tomorrow, but um, the weekend after. So that hopefully will be good. And then a couple more potentially lined up. And then I want to start circling back to my earlier interviews and do some follow-up interviews with them to sort of check in on them and see how things are going. So that's, uh, that's sort of what the plan is moving forward. And then Andre and I also have some, a lot more talking to do about toxic masculinity. Uh, I'm just not in the headspace to the research that I need to do in order to continue that conversation. And, uh, but will be hopefully soon. And then Andre and I get back to the toxic masculinity conversation. So a lot of irons in the fire here, uh, sunshine and brain. <laughs> A lot of irons in the fire is kind of where you want it to be. And yeah, so that's life right now. Hope everybody's doing all right. As always, please like, share, you know, this podcast with as many people as you possibly can and can think of. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, don't hesitate to write me at josh at periveritas.com. Again, that's josh at periveritas.com. Why do I say that shit twice? You can just rewind it and hear me say it. I'm going to say it two more times just to be a dick. Josh at periveritas.com. Again, that's josh at periveritas.com. So yeah, you can always write me there. I'm happy to read your note on the pod and connect with you. To those couple of people who reached out to me on IG, thank you so much. It means a lot that you did that. And uh, yeah, that's it. So long story short, you know, doing better. Not all the way there yet, but I got my feet underneath me, you know, face the dragon and I'm kind of slaying it and feeling sort of proud about that. Got a couple exciting things potentially on the horizon, but if nothing else, I, you know, have returned to that, you know, most basic and important understanding that no matter what happens, life goes on and you just continue to make your way through as best as you can that you can't control the behavior of other people as much as I'd like to. Like I'd love to be able to control the behavior of other people, but I can't do that. And I can't be responsible for doing that. But what I can do is be responsible for me and how I present in this world and how I interact and how I connect and, you know, the sort of feelings that I try to have and do my best to return to myself, you know, to return to those feelings when shit doesn't go my way, you know? And so, that's what this um, that's what this week has been about. That's kind of what the theme is for the nation and the world right now, you know, in terms of all this shit that everyone is going through these days. And we're all kind of in limbo with uh, the pandemic, with the presidential election, with just everything. So, you know, I hope you're making your way through as well, doing what you can to find your way to whatever version of sanity that you can find. And... You know, I hope if you hear this, that you know you're not alone. As always, thanks so much for listening. Quick little addendum. Uh, that phone conversation last night and generally speaking if you're trying to connect with a person and have that person feel like you've got genuine interest in 
who they are and what they bring to the table, I do not recommend typing on your computer a work email during said conversation. So, <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. Anyway, back to the drawing board.